Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salam ala khatimil anbiya Ashrafil mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in Amma ba'd We pick up In the time before Sayyidina Qudwatuna Rasulullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's birth and this is a very important aspect to understand and today you will you will see some of the issues why we need to study the earlier time to understand the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam we left off with Ismail alayhi salam and his obedience to his father Ibrahim alayhi salam and we talked about the eight doors to jannah and the hadith of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu that Imam Abu Ya'la has put in his Musnad as Jayyid that mentions these abwab and also the riwayah in Sahih Muslim where when you make the dua after wudu all eight doors will be opened so we know these are authentically established. What are the doors? We mentioned that the Ahsan wa Aqrab the best and the closest is Bab al-Walid the door of the father in being obedient and in being dutiful, dutiful to the father. And I, I want to make a clarification. This is for the father who's upon the truth, who's upon the haq, who's upon the Quran wa sunnah. Not somebody who calls their children once every few weeks and thinks this makes them a father. Somebody who doesn't give them the tarbiyah, doesn't give them, and he's somebody who, who disobeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then expects his children to obey him, la. But when your father is upon the kitab wa sunnah, when the father is upon the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then as uh, Abu Darda radiallahu anhu mentioned the hadith that this is the closest, the easiest, the best door to Jannah. Whoever preserves him, obeys him, will enter the Jannah through it, and whoever doesn't, he wastes that opportunity. There is Bab al Salah, Bab al Jihad, Bab al Ayman, which is also in some of the Arawayat, Bab al Hajj, Bab al Rayyan, for those who fast, Bab of La Hawla wa La Quwata illa billah. This dhikr is so strong. And Bab al Sadaqa, Bab al Tawbah. What do you notice about all these abab? They are amal. These abab, these doors to Jannah are based on actions. And every Muslim should do all these actions within their capacity. But those that excel will then be called through these abab. And there will be somebody called through all of the abab from the Sahaba radiyallahum. And who is that? Abu Bakr Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. Ismail salam, he passed away and the people of Jurhum who were inhabitants of Mecca were upon Tawheed. They had the Sharia. And this is why when some of the Orientalists and some of those that are uh, infected with their disease even from the Ummah, they talk about, well, يعني, why is it that the Talbiyah, for example, Labbayk, Allahumma Labbayk was used even before Islam and did Rasulullah learn that? No, no, it, it's not that. It's because the Hajj, Salah, Siyam, this was known to the people from the time of Ibrahim Because Ibrahim was on Tawheed, on Deen al-Hanafiyyah. Yani the Deen of Tawheed. Not the Madhab, don't get too carried away. <laughs> right? So here, the people were upon Tawheed. No Shirk, no Bid'ah, no worshipping Qubur, no statues, no stones, no nothing. Alhamdulillah, they were good. And then generations passed. And as generations passed, Jurhum, the people started to become weaker in their amal. And this is the thing with insan. Insan, if you don't have a 
يعني if you ever gardened if you ever planted right or farmed if you just leave your garden it will destroy itself i mean you never have to plant weeds right? they'll come themselves and you just leave the garden it'll destroy itself but if you want to keep the garden you have to work you have to pull out the weeds you have to water you have to put better soil and things so so to keep something you have to do effort and to ruin it just don't do anything it'll ruin itself the same is true with iman to protect your iman you have to make an effort for it constantly strive and struggle for it and to ruin it if you just do nothing you will ruin it will ruin itself when they became weak in their amal and weak in their iman khuza'a khuza'a was one of the qaba'il khuza'a this qabila they attacked jurhum they attacked jurhum and they became yani victorious and this you can go to bidaya wa nihaya or yani siyar alam al nubala or tarikh ibn sa'ad and you will find across the board and there are many muqoof ahadith and sahaba who explain this and so on khuza'a became overpowering over jurhum but jurhum what did they did before they lost mecca they hid zamzam they didn't want khuza'a to get the benefit from the wealth of zamzam so zamzam was now hidden and it stays hidden lost until inshallah you will find in tarikh when it's discovered jurhum then scattered some of them stayed in mecca but they were yani under the authority of khuza'a and some of them ran away and some of them became bedouins again some of them went to the hills and so on now khuza'a they became the caretakers of mecca and they accepted tawhid to an extent meaning yani they 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 didn't they didn't go in and destroy the kaaba or anything they they did hajj they made salah they didn't worship idols so even though they were not from the original followers of ismail alayhi salam but that tawhid affected them and they still stayed upon it but it was getting weaker and weaker now it's getting weaker and then as from the earliest texts we can find like ibn ishaq and ibn hisham his student from sirah nabawiyah and from the authentic narrations that ibn kathir and others have have checked the sanid and thing we find a man and he is mentioned in bukhari and muslim too we'll talk about the riwayat that mention him in in marfu'a hadith from rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is a man named amr ibn amir ibn luhay al-khuza'i amr ibn amir ibn luhay al-khuza'i from the khuza'i tribe this man who was he he was a sayyid from the yani rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam mentioned him in sahih al-bukhari and no doubt to this he was a sayyid a leader from the tribe of khuza'a and he was known to be religious in the sense i guess you could say in an outward sense meaning he he would sacrifice 10000 camels in the hajj imagine at that time camels were a very prized commodity right and every year we have hajj and in every season mausum al hajj he would sacrifice 10000 
Not a hundred, not ten, ten thousand camels for the Hujjaj. So he was a man of diyafa, of, of hospitality, of karam. And he would do it يعني, without any alternative motive. He would give it out free. On top of that, he himself would be very generous. And he was known to be very intelligent. So he became, as for lack of a better word, like a saint. In some of the countries, you would call it a peer. Right? He became like a, a figurehead for them. Religiously and politically. Politically, he became very powerful. Because when you have good qualities, when you have yani, things that people respect, when you're an honorable person, even the Fasiq and Fajr will respect you. Where does, the, where does the difference come? When do the Fusaq and Fujjar and Kufar not like you? When? Huh? When Amr bin Ma'roof, when Ahl Munkar begins. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi used to make Salah, didn't make Shirk, made Adhkar, remembered Allah, went up to the Ghar and, 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 and worshipped Allah. What did the Quraysh say about him? Ameen, Sadiq, the best of us. Even though he didn't worship idols, he was on Tawheed. Even though he was making Ibadah. When did they call him the magician and, and insane and all the other things? When? When the Da'wah began. When you start speaking the truth, then you find out. <laughs> So everybody loved Amr ibn Amr ibn Luhay al-Buzayn and as far as here what would you say if I asked you where would his place be? I mean somebody who takes care of the Hajjaj sacrifices 10,000 camels per Hajj takes care of the travelers is honorable is kind is just is intelligent uh, a leader of Khuza'a we so far from the information in front of you, would he be in Al-Jannah or Jahannam? Be honest. In Jannah. What if I tell you, I guarantee you he'll be in Jahannam? Then you will tell me, look at this guy. <laughs> How is he making these claims? Wallahi, he'll be in Jahannam. Now all your progressives are going to talk about how this guy claims that he knows things. Why do I say that? Because Al-Nabina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said in Sahih al-Bukhari Ra'eetu Amr ibn Amr ibn Luhay al-Khuzai Yajar qasbahu finnar I saw Amr ibn Amr ibn Luhay al-Khuzai Dragging his intestines in the fire Wait a minute What happened? He was such a nice guy. He did so many good things. He was so hospitable, taking care of Hajjaj. 10,000 camels per Hajj. Taking care of the travelers. Good manners. Well respected. What happened? What happened is, he is the first one to introduce shirk to Mecca. He brought shirk there. Until then, from the building of the Kaaba with Ibrahim and Ismail السلام, there was no shirk, there was tawheed. What happened? He went to the land of Kuffar, he went to Sham. And as the ulama have mentioned, he met Amalik. Amalik 
as so, those of you that have been following the, the debates, they're the Amalekites. We talked about them in the Old Testament, how uh, in the Old Testament they were ordered to be slaughtered by the Ben Israel and stuff. So this was a poem, and they used to worship idols in the area of Sham. And there's a lot of discussion about exactly where, whether it is current day Iraq or current day Syria and so on. But leaving all that aside, what we find clearly is the ulama was Rajah, they were in the area that's under Sham. And Sham is not just Syria. Sham is Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Jordan, all this area, parts of what's current day Saudiya would be under Sham in, in those times. And when Amr went there, he saw them worshipping idols. And he asked them, why do you guys do this? And they said, this idol, he brings us this benefit and this idol, this is Hubal, for example, Hubal. They said, this brings us strength. And this is the thing with shirk. Shirk is all like made up. <laughs> like they just find a statue somewhere. It doesn't really do anything. I mean, if it drops, it can't protect itself. And they just make stuff up. You know, if you do this, then this happens. And no evidence, no adilla, no wahi. They just make it up. So he was like, that's kind of cool. So he, they told him about other idols and things. So what is Rajah is the first one he brought was Hubal. And Hubal was uh, made out of Atiq. Uh, Atiq is a brownish stone. And it's, it's got a reddish glow to it. And if you look up Atiq, you will see it's a, it's a beautiful stone. And it was made with a human looking face and hands and all of that. So he brought that back to Mecca. And how they would use it is they would throw arrows in front of it. And depending on how the arrows landed, they would make up a direction. Like they would say, okay, if it falls here, then it means this. And it's not that a stone can give you any guidance, right? But they would just throw it, and then from their own imagination, they'd be like, oh, this means I should do it. This means I shouldn't do it, and whatever. And they would say that this brings us this kind of strength, and this brings us this kind of strength. And, and, and subhanAllah, even though they have no evidence for it. They have no يعني, adilla for it. But it became widespread. Why? Because shirk in every which way is easy. يعني, it fulfills your desires. You're like, uh, and, and this is funny because I was reading through some of the books and some of the things. They would have something really strange like, should I go and cheat this person in business? Obviously, and you don't make istikhara for that, right? Because haram, you don't make istikhara for haram, right? You don't make istikhara, should I make salah or not? There is no istikhara, of course you should make salah, right? But these guys would go and say like, should I cheat this person? Should I go, يعني, uh, I'm going to watch my, you know, zina bijabr, يعني, uh, rape a woman or whatever. And they would throw these arrows and they'd be like, man, who will tell me do it? <laughs> Subhanallah. So this became popular. And because they had made him out to be a personality to be worshipped, they couldn't accept that what he was doing was wrong. And this is a very important lesson for us. We don't evaluate the truth with people, we evaluate people with the truth. We don't just say, if you don't follow this one shaykh, you're off the manhaj in this. No. 
You look at what that shaykh brings and see whether it's in accordance with the kitab or sunnah and then we accept it or reject it. You don't just say this one imam is going to be always correct in every mas'ala ever. And every other imam is going to be wrong in everything. No. Zin bil kitab. Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jalani, what did he say? Zin bil kitab wa sunnah. Weigh everything with the Quran and the sunnah. This is a lesson for us. Because today, some personalities may be popular. Maybe they're very popular on YouTube or whatever, you know. And then they say something crazy, like birthdays are halal, or there is some shak in this or that, or some shubuhat. And then instead of saying, may Allah guide him and you know, protect him and make dua for him and give him nasiha people, no, he's right, you know, I like him. You know he has PhD? I don't know what good that PhD is gonna do him, but I know everybody that told me stop taking shots, I'm still gonna take shots. You can leave if you like. Tayyip. Hubble. One time it broke. <laughs> Subhanallah. Hey, think about this, right? This is their God. This is the one they asked for help. This is, and it broke. It broke. The arm broke off. And the Quraysh, instead of going, SubhanAllah, this thing can't even defend itself. You know? We're just saying that it broke, right? What did they do? They built a solid gold arm for it. Gold. They collected gold from Quraysh and they made a new gold arm for it. Here, Amr ibn Amir al-Khuzai, he didn't stop there. He started to bring in other statues, other idols. Because shirk doesn't stop. Any, I don't know if you've ever been to India, but when you look at the Hindus, may Allah protect our Muslim brothers and sisters. But the Hindus, they worship everything. If I gave you some examples, you would think I'm joking, so I won't. Right? But you can look it up. Things that would not be decent to mention in Adas. <laughs> they worship it. Whole villages. Big statues. Go and touch it. Put your head in. Right? Rats, monkeys, name it. No. I don't know. Right? Probably Corona. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> right? So when shirk begins, it doesn't. It, Muslims worship none but Allah. We don't worship Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We don't worship aima. We don't worship awliya. We don't worship shuhada. We don't worship anbiya. We worship none but Allah. We believe in the anbiya. We believe in the shuhada. We believe in the sahaba. We believe in awliya. We respect them because of what they have done for the deen. But we worship none but Allah, and we judge on the zahir in their obedience to Qur'an was sunnah. Meaning when somebody says somebody's a wali, them flying in the sky is not a sign of them being a wali. I'm sure Dajjal can do more than that. If that's your criteria, that they did backflips or whatever, then Dajjal is going to be your man. May Allah protect us from the fitna of Dajjal. We follow those ulama those awliya that are the closest in sticking to the Qur'an was Sunnah. Those are the true ulama. So what he did, he started to grow this. And we find this with the Christians too. You can begin with worshipping Isa ibn Maryam and then sometimes Maryam alayhi salam will get into it and sometimes then saints will get into it and then 
Everybody will become a prophet and Mormons will bring their own gods and somebody else will bring... Eh, subhanallah, shirk doesn't stop. So he brought what... Yani we talked about uh, Ya'uth and uh, all of the uh, Nasr and, 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 the, and the children of Nuh after whose names people had made statues. And then they brought a lot of female deities. Manat and Uzza and Lat who were women. Like if you actually look at the pictures that people have... And shown their women. And there was a lot of jinn involved here. Some of the ulema of tarikh have mentioned through يعني, reports that are acceptable, but they are not marfu'an, not from Rasulullah that Amr ibn Amir used to work with a jinn. And there was a jinn that would show him some locations to find things and so on. And no doubt that Manat and Uzza and Lat were statues, but they were supported by actual jinn. And when we talk about in the tarikh, when they were broken and things with Khalid bin Walid, we'll talk about the woman and the jinn that were supporting them. So here now, this began. But now there is a problem. A problem we have today as well. What's the problem? Tawheed. Now if we were to say, that to worship other than Allah, to make ibadah other than Allah is incorrect, right? Well, how are you going to worship these idols? So now what do you have to? You have to start changing it up. So what happened? The talbiyah, labbaik, Allahumma labbaik, labbaik, la sharika laka labbaik, you know, the talbiyah that we use. This was known to them from Ibrahim alayhi salam, from Ismail alayhi salam. The, the people before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi salam, they used to make the talbiyah. But now they had to do a bid'ah. What kind of bid'ah? Bid'ah hasana or bid'ah sayyah? Is there any bid'ah hasana in the deen? No. Kullu bid'atan dalal. So, here they made a bid'ah and they changed up the wording. And this hadith is in the Sahih of Imam Muslim. Ibn Abbas radiyallahu reported it, right? He said, we had labbaik, Allahumma labbaik, labbaik la sharika lak. And then they added a little. Illa Sharikan, so labbaik, we say, we, we are present, oh Allah, we are at your service. Allahumma, ya Allah, labbaik, we are present, labbaik, la sharika lak. There is nobody that is a partner to you, oh Allah, labbaik, we are there. This is the words that we say, and this is the words that Ibrahim salam said, and Ismail salam said, and the Anbiya that made Hajj said, what did they accept? Illa, istisna here, right? He said, no, no, there's no sharik. And even today when we see somebody worshiping Qubur, we tell them, Astaghfirullah, and why you worship your Qabr? They tell us, oh no, no, no. It's not that we don't believe in Allah, we're not kuffar. You know where I'm going with this. Right? Good. Right? Wait for it. Tayyib. So, they say, we're not worshiping other than Allah. We're worshiping Allah through worshiping this wali. Tayyib. But isn't that worshipping other than Allah? No, no, no. We don't say that this is separate from Allah. We just say that Allah gave them this authority to be worshipped. What? Where did this come? Was this in the Quran? Did Rasulullah tell us in the hadith? La. When you make things up through dreams and waham and things, those are not adillah. Shaitan doesn't want me talking about this. Huh? <laughs> so I'm going to talk about it. Tayyib. So what do they say? إِلَّا شَرِيكًا وَهُوَ لَكَ 
Accept that as a sharik, but he's for you, like he's under your uh, your control. Tamlakuhu, and you have power over him. Wama malaka, and he has no power over you. Oh Allah, he's not as powerful as you, but we can still worship him to get to you. The Quraysh did not deny Allah. Today, I know everybody tells me, don't talk about today. Just talk about the past. It's entertaining. I'm not here to entertain you. If you want entertainment, go somewhere else. I'm here to remind you and myself. Look, we are facing the same things today. Today, when somebody worships Isa, some of our a'imma, imams of masajid, leaders and community, don't say anything about them. Why not? Shirk. No. They don't deny Allah. When you worship a man, you're denying Allah his haq. Doesn't matter. Somebody worships Rasulullah wasallam. People tell us they're not denying Allah, but it's still kufr. Somebody worships Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyanhu. They said they don't deny Allah, it's still kufr. Then they tell us, well, they're not worshiping them. They're just making dua to them. Good one. <laughs> what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa tell us about dua? Ad-du'a hu al-ibadah. Another rawayah that has said a little weakness is mukhul ibadah. But it is supported by the other rawayah that mentioned al-du'a hu al-ibadah. It is ibadah. Making dua to somebody is making ibadah to them. If you're making dua to somebody, this is worshipping. If you're saying, Ya Ali, help me. If that is not ibadah, then what is it? Not just sujood. Malaika made sujood of Adam alayhi salam. They didn't. It's not ibadah of Adam alayhi salam. We cannot make sujood of anybody. Why? Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi told us this is forbidden on our ummah. If it was allowed. Right? So, now, in our ummah, it's forbidden. Right? But, just sujood is not ibadah in itself. Sujood is one aspect. Yusuf السلام, his father, his mother, and his brothers made sujood to him. It's not that they made ibadah of him, it is that, that they showed him respect. That was allowed in their ummah. In our ummah, it's not allowed. Rasulullah said so, khalas. But ibadah is more than that. When you give somebody else the right to legislate. Oh yeah, I'm going there. Don't mind. Okay, getting cancelled is okay. You can take my YouTube, no problem. Right? If you give somebody the right to legislate other than Allah, this is an ibadah. Who has the right to ordain the sharia? Only Allah. So here, they added this line. And Rasulullah sallallahu alhamdulillah, when he, when he was sent to us as a nur, as a guidance, I mean, not him being nur, don't get me confused, he is bashar. Eh? But he was sent as a guidance to take out the dhulumats. Then he corrected these words back to the way it should have been from the time of Ibrahim salam. So, Amr ibn Amir ibn Luhay al-Quzai, he changed the talbiyah, him and the people around him. And from there, they brought in so many idols that they started to then have idols in each house. Everybody started to make their own idols. Everybody had a god. <laughs> And they would, they would exchange gods. You know how like a, a hermit crap goes and he kind of grows out of the shell and he goes to a bigger shell? They would have a, a, a statue and then they would find a better looking stone. They'd be like, ah, oh, we're done with that one. Let's get another one. <laughs> right? Subhanallah. 
They started other practices of shirk like releasing animals and making special ahkam for them that are not in the sharia. And we have to be careful. Sometimes we, we get books here at Rabat and somebody's like, oh, you got to cut your nails like this. And you're like, well, is that a sunnah from the Prophet ﷺ? No. Is that in the Quran? No. Any hadith for this? No. So where did you make this practice from? After salah, you say, ya nur and ya qawi. This is not your deen to play with. So he started to make his own ahkam. He had these animals and he would free them, but not free them, free them. <laughs> he would have them, but nobody could eat them except his, yani, uh, his own whatever priests or whatever he had. And then only travelers could drink their milk and if they died and this and this. And he made up all these, they would do sacrifices of animals in the names of other than Allah. They started to make little gods for every house. Every tribe had their own God, and then they would call out to their God to help them. And what happens when you don't have the divine, the beautiful, the, the perfect Sharia? What happens? Vulum happens. When we have debates with atheists, one of the things we ask them is what's right from wrong? And who decides that? Is it okay to marry? Uh, a, a rock or a piece of wood, yes or no? I would give other examples if there are young people here, so I won't. Right? And if they say it's not okay, we ask them, well, why not? I don't think it's okay. Well, who are you? What if somebody else thinks it is okay? What if somebody feels in their heart it's okay to rob and kill people? Why would you say it's wrong? If you have no divine guidance. So what happened when the divine guidance was taken... What was replaced as it's always with volumat, with oppression. Daughters started being buried. Subhanallah. And I want to make a point. We hear very often about Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu eating the god that was made out of dates and crying because he buried his daughter. I'm not going to go into the details of the research and things, but the way the story is presented is not authentic. It is not established sanadan and it seems like at least the way it has been presented with the cleaning of the beer with the daughter, this was started by the filth of this ummah, the Rafidah. Find somebody here? No? Right. I'll keep working on it. Uh, and they, they did it with the raw, and we know who did it, we, we can look it up, Sanadan, and all of that. I'm not going to go deeper into that, but putting that aside, but, but it was a common practice. There are Sahaba who did bury their daughters. And not because it's anything uh, any wrong with them, but this was the tradition that came, the oppression. Now, that is such a horrible thing to think about. Right? Like all of us sitting here, and inshallah everybody watching and listening is in shock. If you're not, something's wrong with you. Somebody burying a daughter just for being a girl, right? But before you get on your high horses... Does that not go on in our time? If we look at statistics, and if we look at what's going on in the world today, in India, for example, there are towns, and the BBC had a report on this, you can look it up, 132 villages that in 2019 had no girl births. Somehow, 132 villages in India in one year, only had boys. That's interesting. Because if you look at naturally, if you look at statistics, the birth rates are obviously very close, and girls are usually, depending on the country, a little bit more than boys. 
girl rates a little bit more than boys, statistically. But in India, in these villages, they had zero girls born. Why? Because they had uh, sonographs done, ultrasounds, and when it was a girl, it was aborted. Is that not the same as burying daughters? In China as well. Not to, people don't want people to think that I'm taking on India here. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, it's not amongst the Muslims of India anyway. In China, in 1960, the birth rates were balanced. In 1960 and before that female birth rates being a few percentage higher because that's the natural order of things but in 2020 due to abortions there were 119 boys per hundred girls born in China so they said in 2020 statistically they found that due to the abortions that have been going on for female fetuses, there are 24 million Chinese that could not find a spouse. 24 million men that are going to be stuck now because they couldn't find a spouse. And this is something shameful. This is the dhulam. When people talk about religion and women's rights, how come they don't talk about this stuff? What religion mandated this in China? Secularism, atheism. Atheism is responsible for this. The worst massacres in human history weren't between religious wars, even if you take crusades and jihad and qital and all of that. The one person who's historically documented to have killed more people as the sub of one, one living person during his life is who? Stalin. The communist atheist filth. Stalin, what religion did he come with? Was it under the ban of Islam? Was it under the ban of Christianity, Judaism? And nah. So don't let atheists get on this high horse. Bring them back down. Here, we saw that the began to become more. If somebody didn't have tribal backing, they could be killed, they could be robbed. Even their laws began to be in favor of certain people because in the Sharia, everybody's equal. Arab, Ajam, white, black, race, doesn't matter. What is the key defining factor of superiority in the Sharia? Taqwa, piety. But when you don't have that, then what happens? If you are poor, you would make tawaf naked. But if you were rich from a strong tribe, then you would have clothes hanging on the floor. So what was that a sign of? The clothes hanging. What was it a sign of? You got to remind the doctor, he forgot. What is it, what is it a sign of? Arrogance. Kibar. And that's why Rasulullah said, not you doctor, other doctor. <laughs> I don't want anybody here to think I'm talking about that. La, the doctor with a PhD from Yale. Uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that's why he said about Isbal, innaha makhila, yani it is kibr in itself. That is, not that with kibr, it is kibr. And that's what they would have. If you were broke, you would make tawaf naked. If you were rich, you would have flowing garments. If you were not 
backed by a strong tribe, you could be robbed, you could be killed, you could have zina bi jabr, and it happened very common there, and you couldn't do anything. But if you had the strong backing of a tribe, you could do whatever you want. Why? Because there's no sharia. So then what is there? Gurumat. Subhanallah, if we look at the foolishness of shirk in Jahiliyyah, there is, and this is something that's mentioned uh, in the Tariq, Kutub across the board, and I found it in many a Kutub, including Bidayah and Nihayah and uh, other books. There was a man and a woman from Yemen. He is called Usaf, and in some of the Kutub, Isaf. Badal Kutub, Dhamma, Al Al Hamza, Al Al Alif, Wafi Badal Kutub, Al Kasra, Tahtaha. So both names have given Usaf or Isaf as him, and he loved a woman named Naila. Usaf and Naila. And they were in Yemen, and they were unable to get married. They were unable to see each other, whatever reasons. So they made a plan. And this is, subhanAllah, any, uh, sometimes the stupidity, excuse my language, of people surprises me. Any, the, what was their plan? was they would meet in the Hajj. That would be their excuse. And as shocking as that may seem, it still goes on. So they both went with their tribe for Hajj, and this is before Rasulullah but they still had the Hajj. And they were going to meet there. And when they were trying to meet, they couldn't find a time except the darkness of night. And they couldn't find a place except the cow, The sacred cow. The Kaaba that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made holy, the Kaaba that Ibrahim والسلام, and Ismail built, the Kaaba that was holy even before that land was holy even since the time of Adam, والسلام, the Kaaba that is the most blessed place on the face of the earth. That is the only place that they could find. And they met there, and as the ulema of tariq have mentioned across the board, they performed zina there. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He made a, a sign of them. And in the act, He made them of stone. They became stone. And you can find this across the board in the Kutub of Tariq. When the people found them made of stone, they thought this to be a, a sign. And they took them out and they placed them in a place that is close to where Zamzam, but Zamzam was hidden at this time. They didn't know where it was. But close to where the well of Zamzam is, they put those statues and they were made stone in the way of the act. But they put them there as, as, as a, a sign for people to يعني, fear Allah. But this is the problem with statues. This is why we don't sell statues. This is why we don't allow statues to remain. This is why we don't in the Sharia, no matter how big it is, and no matter how many mountains it's in the side of, and no matter how historic it is, no matter of all of that, our Amr from Rasulullah is to destroy the statues. So when they put it there, Iblis, Shaytan, and his Shayateen, as generations passed, they started to tell people, you know whose statue that is? Those are awliya. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Two people, 
that made zina in the Kaaba. And Allah cursed them by making them into stone. What happens now? Slowly, 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 shaitan, and you can look this up. You don't have to believe me. You think I'm making this up? Go home and look it up. Shaitan starts to tell people these are awliya. Until they start to be worshipped. They become Allahu Akbar. Now, as shocking, again, as you may think that is, and you think nowadays we would never do that, go look it up. How many qubur that were worshipped have been opened in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in Kurdistan, in, in, in Syria, and other places, when there were open statues or bar out of them? You can look it up, there are pictures. I was in Peshawar myself, and there was an area, and I went to this area, and not, not to go to it, I was actually going to a place called Ganj, and on the way from our village, we went by there, and my father-in-law, he showed this area to me, where there was a qabr. And it was known as the Qabr of Awali. And they had the green flags. That's a, somehow that just green flag makes it awliya. And this was worship. People used to literally make sujood. I'm not saying like they just made dua for them as a sunnah to make dua for them. Not to them, for them. Okay? But people used to make sujood to this qubur. They said this is this wali and this wali and they made up stories. And, and one time at night people came and put up, the British actually, the Englishman, those guys, right? They came, put up, paid off the police, Pakistani police, mashallah, right? They paid off the police, they put up curtains, dug up the grave. What was inside? Gold statues. How did gold statues get there? The area there used to be inhabited by Hindus. And the Hindus, they were wealthy, you know? They like money. You thought those small Kufi guys were the only ones, right? So, what happened when, when India and Pakistan were separating, the Indian, the Hindus had to bounce. They were like, these Pashtuns are going to eat us up. Got to get out. Right? So as they were leaving, they buried a lot of their gold and their, and their statues and things. And they knew that the best way to protect that is to tell people this is the Qabr of Awali. Because the person of Bid'ah will not defend the Kaaba. He will not defend Tawheed. He will not defend Ulema. He will not defend anything else but a base of shirk. Ooh, he'll die for it. Right? Everything, bid'ah becomes sharif. You never hear zakat sharif or namaz sharif, you know, but maulid sharif, you know. So, they made this, and this is a place I've seen with my own eyes. And there are pictures, not of the statues, because they came at night, dug it up, took it back to the UK, to some museum somewhere, right? But there are pictures of the open graves afterwards. People knew about it. And this has happened. Many qubur were open and donkeys, the skulls of donkeys have come out and dogs and so on. Even if it is a wali. And there are awliya. We have no doubt to that. But are we ordered in sharia to go make sujood to the graves of awliya? No. So this zani and zaniya, their statues now are being worshipped. This is one of the statues that are being worshipped. Ikhwan fillah. A lot of other horrible things were also going on. Murders, rapes, uh, like I said, zulm and things. And, and those things are going on today. Wherever you don't have the implementation of the divine laws, you see those things today as well. And what is the worst of those things though? Shirk. I mean, 
Shirk is the worst. What, out of all that they were doing, the worst that they were doing was the shirk. Have you ever thought about this issue in our ummah today? Yani we see some dhulm going on and we see some rights not being given and we become upset and yes, we should. But have we thought that the number one enemy that we should be focused on eradicating is shirk? Have you thought about that? فَمَادَ قَالَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى إِنَّ شِرْكَ لَظُلْمٌ عَظِيمٌ Allah SWT says, إِنَّ What is إِنَّ? Tawkeed, emphasis. A shirk. Lam here. What is the lam for? Again tawkeed. One emphasis wasn't enough. Another emphasis. That here, verily shirk, definitely, indeed, is ظلم Azim, the greatest zulm. The greatest zulm is not murder. The greatest zulm is not bribery or taking life. All of those are sinful. I'm not justifying any of those. But the greatest sin, the greatest zulm, the greatest thing that is never forgiven if you die upon it. The one sin if you die upon, you cannot be forgiven. By the laws of Allah. We don't put restrictions on Allah. Allah tells us His laws. If you die as a zani, Allah can forgive you. If you die as a murderer, Allah can forgive you. If you die uh, as an alcoholic, Allah can forgive you. That is up to Allah. Allah forgives who He wills. We don't want to die in any of those things. But the one sin that Allah has made a rule on Himself that He will not forgive if you die upon is shirk. Why am I saying this? Because today, somebody will say, after their enlightening or darkening education. Istighatha is not shirk. It's not kufr. What is istighatha? Don't confuse it with tawassal. Those are two different issues. Istalah. Not that I'm saying tawassal is okay, but I'm explaining the difference. There is one aspect of tawassal bil amal. You turn to Allah and you make a wasila. You take a path to ask Allah through your actions. You say, oh Allah, I went for hajj and I did it with hardship. And if I did it only for your sake and I did it to the best of my weak ability, oh Allah, help me in this situation. Alhamdulillah, nothing wrong. Then there is tawassul bid-du'a al-salihin al-hayy. You go to a righteous person that's alive and you ask them to make dua for you. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi in one hadith he asked Umar ibn Khattab to make dua for him, even though Rasulullah sallallahu is above him in status. When Awais al Qarni was coming from Yemen, he's a tabi'i. But Rasulullah sallallahu told Umar ibn Khattab that when this man comes, ask him to make dua for you. He's lower than Umar ibn Khattab in status. But Umar radiallahu told him, make dua for us. In that, the Sahaba made dua for each other. They asked each other to make dua for us. They asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So today, if I come to you and I tell you, Akhi fillah, make dua for me. Or if you come to me, even though I'm lower than all of you in status, I'm a bigger sinner than you, I'm lower. But if you come to me and you say, make dua for me, nothing wrong with that. 
If you make tawassul with the asma al-husna, with the sifat of Allah, oh Allah, you are Rahman, you are Rahim, you are Ghafoor, I want to make tawassul, with make dua, with the beautiful names of Allah, nothing wrong with that. But if you go to the qabr of a wali, for example, and this is not the masala today, I'm just coming to a point that is related to the dars. And you say, oh Allah, for the sake of this wali, then we don't find adilla for this. The Hayyid Uthman ibn Hunayf and all of that, we've dealt with those. If you don't know, look up the Aqidah Durus, you will find the Asaneed and explanations and all of that. But this goes into a bid'ah. We don't say that, for example, if somebody says that, Oh Allah, for the sake of the Prophet ﷺ, Oh Allah, I make dua to you because of the Prophet ﷺ. This is the bid'ah. This comes under the bid'at. But istighatha is something totally different. Istighatha is when you go to a qabr and you make dua to the one in the qabr. Not to Allah. When you are asking... Or you say, Ya Abdul Qadir Jalani, help me. Ya Ali, Madat. Shere Khuda, Mushkil Kusha. You think we don't know about these Shia, Bid'at, and Shirk, and Kufr? We know about it. No, we will not sit on the same stage as them. Never. I'm going to go over time. Relax. Here, when this issue comes up, what did the Quraysh do? Did they deny the existence of Allah? When you ask them who created the Samawat, who did they say? Allah. Did they say that these entities like Lat and Uzza, did they say are they are independent in their power? No. Look at the addition they made to the Talbiyah. They said, Inna and accept who you Allah give authority to. Understand. If you say istighatha is not shirk, then you say the Quraysh were Muslim. <laughs> One of our shaykh, and I, I will say our shaykh, I'm not saying my shaykh, because I didn't study with him personally. I benefit, I sat with him. I benefit from him. His name is Dr. Shaykh Allama Shamsuddin Al-Afghan. And he has a book, and he lists 23 Hanafi ulama that wrote about Isdighatha from the earliest times and said this is shirk, the kufr. Our other shiuch, like Shamsul Haq al Adim Abadi, who wrote the famous Sharh of Abu Dawood, Aun al Ma'abud, the Sharh Sunan Abi Dawood, he lists Shawafi and Malikiya and Hanabila and others. And for the Hanabila, you can go to one of the Subhanallah, uh, very, very well-known ulema of Hanabila, Al-Mar'i ibn Yusuf. If you don't know who he is, then you don't know the Hanbali Madhab. He is the author of Dalil al-Talib and Al-Ghaaya al-Muntaha, those Mu'tamid books. He has a book called Al-Shifa' al-Sudur, Fi Ziyadat al-Mashahid wal-Qubur. And in it, he documents the Hanbali opinion that Istighadha is shirk, it's kufr. You can look up other books as well uh, and the works of other imma and ulema. If we look at this issue, one thing very clear, from the Qur'an itself, and I'm not even going to go deep into the Qur'an, let's just stick to Al-Fatiha. What do you say in, in Al-Fatiha? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينُ 
What does it mean? Oh Allah, you are the only one we can worship. And you are the only one that we seek that help from. That divine help, that dua, that unseen help, only from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we look at the sunnah, the hadith that Imam Al-Tirmidhi has mentioned, Hassan Sahih, the advice to the nephew of Rasulullah and cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Abdullah ibn Abbas, that إِذَا سَأَلْتَ If you ask, فَاسْأَلْ who? فَاسْأَلْ Allah. If you ask, ask of Allah. And if you seek, استعين. If you seek help, فَاسْتَعِينُ بِاللَّهِ then ask from who? Allah. Sahih hadith. Quran hadith. Tayyib. When there was a drought in the time of the Sahaba, radiallahu, in the time of Umar ibn Khattab, there was a drought. And they had to ask Allah. They had the qabr of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi there. They had the qabr of Sahaba. They had the qabr of Abu Bakr, radiallahu. They had the qabr of Aisha, radiallahu. Could they not have gone to those qabr and made dua to them? What did he do? Umar ibn Khattab in the Sahih Hadith he told Abbas the uncle of Rasulullah the Sahabi who was alive he told him we're going to make you the wasila as a live person and the amal the action of the Salatul Istisqa go make the Salatul Istisqa you are the live person making that dua and salah that's our wasila to get the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Rasulullah sallallahu he was sent to us in such a time of dhulumat that a zani and a zaniya was being worshipped. That idols were being worshipped. That daughters were being buried. That, that the hukuk of the poor were being taken. And in that time of darkness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a siraj al-muni. An illuminating light. A nur that take out a nas min al-dhulumat ila nur To take the mankind out of Darkness is into a light. A mercy to alameen. And before that, many clear, authentically documented miracles that we will go over in the next dars, inshallah.